And the main reason diets don't work is not because a person failed, not because they didn't have the motivation or the willpower. It's actually because your body needs and wants to be regularly fed throughout the day with enough energy. How simple is that? That millions of people out there don't understand that right now, right? That our bodies just, that's all they want. They deserve that respect and that nourishment. And normal hunger is every two to four hours as well. Welcome to the Zen-ish Mommy Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Gershman, and while I may never reach enlightenment, you will find me here cussing and laughing along the way. This podcast is a place for all women to connect, educate themselves, and slow down because you deserve a moment to pause and press play. Hey, welcome back to another episode. I'm your host, Jessica Gershman, and I want to talk about the toxic diet culture that is going on in our nation today, whether it's celebrities losing 30 pounds to fit into a dress for the Met Gala, or just this idea that we are using our body shape and look as just a suggestion that we can modify it with plastic surgery or severe dieting techniques and really glorifying this entire experience of massive weight loss to fit into some society's norms or idea of what an ideal body should look like. As someone who suffered and very openly talks about my past eating disorder and really body dysmorphia for a lot of my early 20s, I want to dive deep into what this diet culture is doing, what we can do about it, and how we can start to create a healthy and happy, joyful relationship with food. Because as someone who had an eating disorder, it was an interesting relationship because unlike drugs or alcohol, you can't just stop eating, right? The idea that we have to create or make peace with our relationship with food, with our body, with our body changes is something that's taken me a really long time. But my next guest is a registered dietitian and certified diabetes expert. She believes that dieting harms our mental and physical health while also stealing the joy from eating. Hell yes. And if anyone's listened to that song, like you can't have carbs and have a hot girl summer, right? Carbs are energy. They are fuel for our body. So learning how to make peace with the food that we put in our body to look at it as fuel and really make peace within ourselves, loving ourselves enough. And food is joyful. It is definitely the way that I show love. I cook a lot at my house and put a lot of time and effort and love into the food that I serve people. And food is life. Life is food. It is the energy. It's the fuel. So let's talk about how we can create a positive relationship with food. I want to welcome Lauren Dorman to the show. So nice to meet you. Thank you for having me on today. Absolutely. So we're here to talk about toxic diet culture and really how the landscape is hopefully changing. Mm -hmm. We were talking a little bit prior to recording that really 100% of people have disordered eating in some fashion, right? Some Mm -hmm. relationship with food that is not optimal, whether it's restricting or what I love to call like backdoor eating disorders, which is I'm a a lacto-ovo vegan that is Mm -hmm. gluten-free. And, you know, basically I eat nothing. I eat air you know, all in the name of quote unquote, air quotes, health. Right. And so really, I want to change the landscape. And you've got a whole big platform about how dieting doesn't work Mm -hmm. and creating a healthy relationship with food. But I want to double back 
what is your personal relationship with food and kind of how has that grown as you became, you know, a dietitian and work with all the, your clients? Sure. Well, first of all, 20 years ago, actually this month is my 20th year as a registered dietitian. So this is an exciting year for me, marking, you know, 20 years in my career. And when I was taught in school 20 years ago, everything was about obesity and weight loss and portion sizes and checking weight and checking BMI. And yes, that had an effect on my relationship with food, right? I mean, we all kind of fear gaining weight, I believe, at least 75% of the population. So yes, I wanted to make sure that my portions were right. And I mean, this is what I was learning, right? I was learning all this nutrition and people didn't have access to and I knew, you know, what healthy meant. But I still did allow permission for dessert, for the things that people would call bad or unhealthy. I still knew that there was a place for them. So I wasn't too restrictive, but I definitely came from a place of not necessarily self-care, but from a place of I probably should have a small little piece of it because it's not the best for me back then. Now, I mean, you know, I have an amount that feels good to my body from a self-care point of view, not from a should. Like I'll be eating something and I'll be eating it mindfully, enjoying the flavors, enjoying the texture and really kind of in tune with my body. And I might leave some, but that might come from a place of self-care or respect for my body, not from a place of, oh, this is a portion it should be. So I've developed that over the last, you know, five to 10 years of this intuitive space and the self-care framework of eating that I myself have such a much better relationship with food. I don't look at calories and labels and I don't have to have the perfect portions and balanced plate all the time. And if I do want to have it, it comes from like, oh, I'm kind of in the mood to add some vegetables and add some nutrient-dense foods, or I'm in the mood for a, you know, chia banana smoothie some mornings and other mornings I'm in the mood for like, whatever, homemade waffles with syrup and fruit. It's all about variety and flexibility. That's a very important word in this whole process as well. Right. Because the opposite of flexibility is like restrictive, right? And Mm -hmm. that's kind of where the world that we came from. And would you agree that it was like when you entered 20 years ago as a dietitian that skinny was healthy? That's kind of our version or how we... uh, labeled or measured mm-hmm. health. It was skinny. And then all of this kind of data came out. I know my daughter specifically was teased at as early as kindergarten, to be quite honest, for being overweight. And so I really leaned into you know health at every size and mm-hmm. articles that showed you know body shapes because the reality is not everybody is skinny naturally. I mean that's just not mm-hmm. the body that God gives us. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean that people that are skinny are healthy and that people that aren't are not. Right. So what diet culture actually is, is a system of beliefs that values that thinness over health, right? So we're valuing a smaller body over physical, emotional, and mental well-being, okay? It's really targeting women's insecurities, Right. And amen. Like along with everything else. Right. (laughs) And it's also telling somebody that their body is a problem and it needs to be fixed. And by the way, I love that song by Jack's Victoria's Secret. 
And yes. my daughter, my 10 year old, where was that lo- song when I was like struggling through my, I was like, yeah. Oh, I needed that song. I love. Yeah. I just listen to it with my girls like over and over again. I'm like, see, I mean, it's my daughter's favorite song right now, which I think yeah. is so awesome. My 10 year old, but also there was an article out in June from Buzzfeed that was fabulous because it said 19 celebrities that are done with dieting. So they had Demi Lovato and they had Ashley Graham and Kirsten Dunst and Lena Dunham, Jennifer Lawrence. So there was a lot of celebrities speaking up about their disordered relationship with food and how they're now done dieting. Now, when you're done dieting, actually, that's not anti-health. That's pro-health. If you learn about the intuitive eating principles and you understand, you know, what a balanced, healthy way of eating is, you know, you can be done dieting and eat all, you know, less nutrient dense foods, but you're not going to feel good. Would you agree? Like if you just ate, I don't know, cake and cookies and chips for weeks and weeks and weeks. If you ate cakes and sugar and processed food mm-hmm. and crap all day, every day, you wouldn't feel good. I mean, right. Yeah, your slow energy, brain fog. I mean, mm-hmm. ultimately your immune system, you know, everything mm-hmm. that's wreaking havoc on your immune system. And I think that's when you touched in a little bit on that mindful eating piece of really making the connection of how we fuel our body and the direct correlation to how we feel. Yeah. So I think that again, going back to that self care part, right? Like if you can come from a place of like listening to your body internally, Give yourself grace. You know, like you might feel guilt from food because we were just, our brain is wired to feel that guilt based on the society that we live in. But it's not normal to have to feel this guilt, this shame, this failure around food. How much better would that piece of cake taste without yeah. the guilt, right? Actually, it's digested better in your body when you're mindfully eating it. And your body is healthier when you're not feeling the guilt or shame and you're enjoying it. And well, let's talk about why it's you because sitting down, if you're a, you know, I talk about, I eat meals standing up. It's like the worst thing, right? Running from the car, mm-hmm. eating a bar in the car, mm-hmm. those kind of things. But when you actually sit down and I did an episode earlier in the year about mindful eating and mm-hmm. use an apple as an example, like let's take this piece of fruit, mindfully eat it and take in that experience so mm-hmm. that you can practice this with something like an apple or a piece of fruit or whatever Mm -hmm. into the rest of your life. But all of the cues, you've got the saliva that starts to form. I mean, everything Mm -hmm. gets ready in your body to digest. And the reality is because we're so on the go, we're such in a heightened state of stress response. Our body isn't digesting our food and we're not getting the nutrients that we're even taking the time to ingest. We're just flushing them through my body or through our bodies. Yeah. You know, your nervous system is dysregulated when you approach food that way. Now, listen, people have busy lives that happens from time to time. It's not anything that I talk about is never going to be rigid or restrictive that you have to sit down for every meal and every snack. Right. But I said 70% of the time. Exactly. That's what I said. Let's shoot for 70. I if love you, that. Yep. You know, if you can get 30% of your meals in the car on the yeah. go, shoot and for I, 70% sitting down. I also think that even if like a couple of your bites were mindful, that's still better than none of your bites. So really tune into the flavor, the smell, the texture, the temperature even. So when you can sit down and mindfully eat, your body digests that food better and you're less dysregulated. I also want to go back because you said something about Paris Hilton and one meal a day. Your body is also dysregulated and doesn't work properly when it's not nourished throughout the day. 
you know, that intermittent fasting is not health. Actually, breaking the fast in the morning is health. But society won't teach that, right? Because we live in a almost, I think, I believe it's now up to $80 billion of diet culture, what they're making money off insecurities. And the main reason diets don't work is not because a person failed, not because they didn't have the motivation or the willpower. It's actually because your body needs and wants to be regularly fed throughout the day with enough energy. How simple is that? That millions of people out there don't understand that right now, right? That our bodies just, that's all they want. They deserve that respect and that nourishment. And normal hunger is every two to four hours as well. And that's something that women would get mad at themselves for, right? Like, why am I hungry again? I just ate. Well, that's health. Your body's sending you a signal, just like you have to go to the bathroom or if you're cold or if you're hot, right? And we do it with our kids, right? Because we don't understand why especially growing kids can eat and then they're like hungry and we get mad. Why are you hungry? You just ate. Mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. we read out and I'm guilty of it too. You know, this kind of natural hunger cues now, you know, sometimes they just want yeah. goldfish and yeah. you know, whatever. But, you know, when we tell our own children, no, you're not hungry. You just ate. Yeah. You know, we're already instilling that. And that's our own. Well, I can only speak for me. That's my own insecurities because I have also been in the place of shaming myself for being mm-hmm. hungry. Mm-hmm. So then what do I do? Take it out on my children. No, you mm-hmm. can't be hungry. Mm-hmm. You just ate. So we're creating wow. and participating in this vicious diet culture, not mm-hmm. listening to our body and pushing it on our children and creating the next mm-hmm. wave of people mm-hmm. that have unhealthy relationships with food. So the child who's told, how could you be hungry? You just ate. If they are truly hungry, they're actually, that's a trust broken with the parent because, wait a second, like I am hungry, but my parent is not thinking that I'm hungry. Like a parent doesn't really know a child's body. No, we're not in there. And then we, we don't, tell, teach them no. not to listen to their own body. Listen to us. We're right. We don't know shit. We're not right. in there. Right. We don't know their hunger cues or what they're experiencing or how fast they're growing. Yeah. And I don't remember what it's like to be 13 or 10 or 15 yeah. for that matter. Yeah. And another thing that parents might say is like, that's enough junk or they try to put, you know, maybe some non-nutritional foods like up higher in the pantry. But what they're actually doing is making the food more powerful and special and they're not giving their permission. So I teach a lot of parents like don't make any food special and try not to call food junk either. Try to just say what the actual name of that food is. (laughs) Because if you make a plate and your kid comes home from school and there's potato chips and there's apples and there's some cheese and there's some carrot sticks. Like that's showing them that all food fits or you could even put some chocolate on there or some M&Ms. All food fits. You have this emotionally neutral feeling around food. And how many women have that feeling of emotional neutrality around all food? Not many, right? Like, I mean, the women who go through my framework do because they learn how to approach all food is just food and women that work with other registered dietitians and anti-dietitians. But when you go to a doctor and a doctor says, oh, you should stay away from this, 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 right? Where's the brain going to go? That's what I want. Like when you, if I tell you right now, don't look behind you, what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. I'm going to look behind mm-hmm. me. That's exactly what I want to do. And why do you think doctors are saying this? 
because I don't feel like they know anything about nutrition. <laughs> well, I mean, all respect for every <laughs> physician and much every respect. Yes. But yeah, their physicians refer to registered dietitians for a reason, right? Also, the doctors are not psychologists and therapists and understand behavior of food. And a lot of times it's not even about the food. It's about the emotion or the coping mechanism. And if you're always coping with going to food as the first line of when you feel that uncomfortable emotion, that's not healthy. Emotional eating is healthy, but not if it's always <laughs> your route is always to go to food consistently. You know, or use it as a comfort or an escape. Or, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, is that really respecting your body? Is it, are you physically feeling? I mean, I've had women that wake up the next morning like physically ill after binging at night. But the reason that they're binging at night isn't because they're, they don't have willpower, they don't have discipline, or they're bad. It's because they did not eat enough during the day. And their body's like, what did you do to me? You've got to feed me now. You skipped breakfast. You only ate a salad at lunch. You only ate broccoli and chicken at dinner. I need food now. And how many women don't get that? I mean, I love that I'm here to, so that these women can feel like, oh, so there's nothing wrong with me? I thought there was something wrong with me. Absolutely. No, there's nothing wrong with you. You're not a failure. You're not, you know, don't feel bad about this. It's the physiology of your body needing that food that you didn't give it earlier and now you're binging. Or you, maybe you did give your body enough but you're binging because you have a mental restriction about it. So you're eating the ice cream and you're saying, I shouldn't, I'm bad, I'll be better tomorrow, right? How many people do that? A yeah, lot. probably all of us at some so point. When you come from a place of, I can have more tomorrow, this amount felt good, it's a whole different ballgame. It's such mindset shifts that you have to challenge and you have to push away a lot of thought. And it's interesting. I love that you said that like, I can have more tomorrow. I find myself just speaking from personal experience. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, okay, wanting something sweet. And then I'll go for shit that's not good. Dates, you know, almond butter mm-hmm. is something that... And I was like, eventually, I just find my way back to, you know, the Justin's peanut butter cups that I wanted to begin with. I right. just, you know, I can just start there with exactly. what I really want instead of like, back ending around knowing that I'm going to get there anyway. But it's all of these... When we start to really look at these little quirks or kind of funny relationships with Mm -hmm. food, whether it's, you know, what we label as good or bad or what we think we should have, or, Mm -hmm. you know, like you said, I love, you know, oh, you know, as we're eating the ice cream, I shouldn't be doing this and I'll be better tomorrow. I mean, taking away from the experience of like ice cream is really good. It's really creamy. It's cold. It's delicious. It's It's meant to be good. Diets fail but it's not the person that failed. It's the diet was created to fail them. And, and why do they fail? Well, going back to that whole part of that the body wants to get fed, right? And then going back to the whole part about food is powerful now. Your hunger hormones actually increase after, well, at the end of the diet. And people don't understand that. You have this sense of lack of willpower or self-control, right? And that makes somebody possibly cope with food more. Dieting also causes irritability, anxiety, depression, which is affecting your mental health. There's more food obsession, right? There's more thoughts around the food. And the diet industry has repeat customers, right? For a reason. <laughs> yep. And actually the most the statistically 
based on research, the long-term outcome of dieting is actually weight gain. Not that weight gain is bad. Okay. Some people might need to gain weight to be healthier, to improve their blood work, to feel better mentally and physically. But that wasn't the goal of the person who went on that diet was to now five years later, gain more weight than what they started at or a year later or two years later, whatever it is. Yes, dieting can cause weight short term, but there's not one study long, long, long term that shows that we can keep weight off. And then it decreases your metabolism and your fat storage as well. But people have their blinders on, right? And they just like, oh, an event is coming up and I need to go on a diet or they're not feeling comfortable or there's something else going on in their life. And now their way to cope is to just diet. So there's a lot of emotions that go into the whole diet culture as well. But the most important thing is actually that genes are largely responsible for a person's body size and weight, right? So 70% responsible for your set weight point range. So That's huge. we're fighting your biology of your body by trying to micromanage and portion and limit. And then the body will go back to where it feels comfortable, even though the person might not want to be there. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've been there. Like I have a certain weight in my mind that I'm like, oh, I feel better. You know, my clothes fit a little looser. My body doesn't like that. Mm -hmm. It never likes that. It never stays at that weight. It always goes back to this. I mean, I've been the same weight sitting here today that I was in high school. And I'm a very active person, but I notice that like where my body likes to be. And every Mm -hmm. winter, I pack on a few pounds. I mean, not changing anything, not really changing movement. And I'm like, okay, this is my body saying, hey, I'm cold. (laughs) You know, I'm going to squirrel it away just like the squirrels in my yard. Mm -hmm. You know, and it generally comes off sometime by spring or summer. And I stay at that same weight. I mean, we're only talking a fluctuation of a few pounds, Mm -hmm. but resisting against them because of some idea that I have in Mm -hmm. my head. You know, even the thought of like, I just had it in my mind. I was like, oh, I'm going to go to Jamaica in a couple months. I'm like, well, I mean, I'm guilty of it too. I'm going to be in that bathing suit. Mm-hmm. I'm comfortable. And then that anxiety kicked in of like, what is the deadline of having to diet or start watching what I'm mm-hmm. eating? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, God, oh, that just feels awful. It just yeah. feels so awful. There have been women that have told me in the past when they've done that and then they feel so sick on vacation because they're eating everything in sight because they were so restricted for so long. Again, yo-yo dieting is not health. There's actually a lot of poor outcomes from yo-yo dieting, including diabetes and heart disease and premature death. I mean... And the toll on your mental health. I did it this last spring break. I went and ate no carbs for like two weeks. And it was miserable. I was miserable. You know, got to some idea. And then when I got to vacation, I couldn't unwind. I had such anxiety mm-hmm. of like how to reassimilate into normal. Mm-hmm. Like, and I was like, I had to really have a gut check and be like, okay, what has this done to your social and emotional well being? The fact that you're not able to sit here and enjoy this meal with your family because in your brain, you're going, Oh my gosh, it's carbs. How are you mm-hmm. going to do? And I was mm-hmm. like, whoa, mm-hmm. gut check. And I'm learning, even at 41 years old, I'm still doing these patterns, but I'm learning. I'm like, okay, that didn't feel good. It didn't feel good having to reassimilate into regular life with my family. I felt like an outsider. I felt mm-hmm. uncomfortable. That wasn't worth it. I missed, you know, 24, 48 hours of vacation stuck in my own mental mm-hmm. confines mm-hmm. and my mm-hmm. own 
stress creating environment because I went and restricted for two weeks prior, you know, and it really created this unhealthy pattern. And I was like, I don't ever want to do that again. Like, I don't want to miss two days of vacation because I'm stuck in my head feeling miserable. So you were self-aware of that. And some people are not as self-aware and just think this is the way it should be. And no, they would benefit from help, right? Women also don't speak so kindly in their internal dialogue to themselves about their bodies and about food. And if you had a child near you or you had your child or you had a niece or nephew or a parent, the things that you say internally, would you say to them? Would you ever say out loud, right? It's an important piece of this healing and this more of a neutral relationship with your body. When you don't feel good about yourself and you don't talk kind to yourself, you can't then take care of yourself in the right way. So the more that you can rewire your mind to push that, let the thought come in, push the thought away, replace it with something else that you have gratitude for or that you're more neutral about, little by little, piece by piece, you start to really take care of yourself better because you respect yourself more. Your body hears everything and every thought you say. And that's not going to be emotionally healthy for a person if they continue to self-sabotage. Or they say the body keeps score. Yeah. I mean, yeah. on a cellular level, like emotions, thoughts, mm-hmm. they have a vibration, like our cells are water, they take in the vibration. I mean, you know, we have to think about these things and also give yourself grace. Like, it's a growth. I mean, I'm sitting here on this platform saying, yeah, I still struggle. I'm still recognizing like, mm-hmm. whoa, this was unhealthy. Or, you know, I took a trip to a wellness spot and ate probably more than I would ever eat at home and mm-hmm. ate more consistently and felt amazing. I'm like, whoa, okay. I'm still learning these things because mm-hmm. I was like a big intermittent faster because I thought that was healthy and I'm mm-hmm. giving my digestive system a break. Nope. And then I would be starving by noon. And then dinner time would come around and I'd be like eating everything inside. Yep. Hello, this is my body telling me that I'm not getting enough nourishment throughout yeah, the day. Yeah. And the diet industry doesn't care about your mental or physical no. health. They so they want you, you coming back. They want you to intermittent fast so that you could start another diet and another diet, another diet, because you think something's wrong with you. But it's sad, especially what our teenagers are learning from social media now too. Like I wish that actually I have a passion project. Like I'm working with school systems and teachers and I have a professional development for them to learn like the real approach to health. And also these children need to be taught what health means and also what to look out for in social media that's harmful. So the before and after pictures are harmful, right? Any talk about losing weight in a short period of time or any diet or any cleanse, you know, there's so many things that intermittent fasting and the green juices and the what I eat in, the, in a day, I think that there needs to be a class for ages, you know, 10 to 18 and beyond in colleges that teach these children, like, these are the, you know, put your glasses on and let's start being detectives of harm that our culture is teaching. Because a lot of girls will think that this is the truth. And I'm supposed to restrict carbs. And I'm supposed to think of foods as good and bad. And I'm supposed to drink my green smoothie. And I'm supposed to exercise to burn off calories. You know, those are all diet culture. It's almost like being a self-esteem investigator, right? Of teaching them Mm -hmm. to like recognize these red flags. Because a lot of at least young kids, I can speak for my daughters, for example, don't even 
like filters, it didn't even occur to them that maybe that's not what their body actually looks like Mm -hmm. in real life or pulling up. And I don't generally have like, you know, people magazine and us around all the time, but like, you know, they'll they'll grab one if I'm traveling or or whatever and looking at these like, oh, she's so beautiful. I'm like, yeah, she doesn't really look like that. Like there's Mm -hmm. so much Photoshop going on and then social Mm -hmm. media, which the filters and all of the things. I mean, it's just that becomes an unattainable norm to them that they just see all the time. Like, look at all these people that are perfect. What's wrong with me? And it is becoming like these kind of self-esteem detectors. I personally think that, you know how how everybody goes to the eye doctor and the physician, what other things, like people go for yearly visits, right? A way to prevent disordered eating and eating disorders would be to meet with an anti-diet registered dietitian twice a year yeah. even. Ooh. All right, check. I've got to do that. That's so smart. I mean, it's or true. have something within the schools to start collaborating with the guidance counselors in the school on preventing instead of treating. Because it's all of our children, boys, girls, everybody, it's everyone being inundated with this diet culture and then taking it as truth, putting in that, squirreling it away in their subconscious somewhere and then basing their value or self-worth on, you know, at a later basis, whether they measure up or not, you know, and that becomes the relationship with food. But how can food, like we're talking about all the negativity and everything that social media does and all the, how do we start to turn this around and create a positive relationship with food and make it a part of like self-care? Okay. So the first thing is that you would start to shift your mindset away from fear and anxiety around food, right? And focusing on like macronutrients and the perfect balance and the, did I eat enough fruits and vegetables today? And all that like hyper-focus of your brain constant focus on food and body and fear and anxiety and shame. And then you you shift, right, to this place of peace and care and satisfaction and variety and fuel and energy and consistency. So it's a lot of mindset shifts on how we were all wired to think, right? Once you can, you know, it takes couple of some clients have done it in a few weeks, but it could take a lot of time. It also depends how many years you've been dieting. I mean, I work with women from, you know, 18 to, you know, 85. I mean, if there's an 85 year old woman working with me, it's going to be a lot more challenging (laughs) to rewire all those neurons in your brain to have a better relationship. But eating in a way that feels physically and mentally good to your body, that's really important. And I actually created a guide. It's 10 ways to practice self-care through nutrition and it's free and I sent it to you to look at. And I can think of five ways right now that we can come from a place of self-care. So number one would be break the fast in the morning. Respect that your body needs energy and fuel within that first hour or two from waking up and push away the thoughts of intermittent fasting or push away the thought of, oh, I'm not hungry, so I'm not going to eat. Well, the reason that you're not hungry is because you don't eat breakfast regularly. Once you start to eat breakfast regularly, you should be waking up with slight hunger signals. And I actually still tell people like, I don't care that you're not hungry. You still need to nourish your body. So take something out of the fridge or the cabinet that sounds or looks good to you that you can eat. Even if you don't think that it's a breakfast, if it's just kind of a snack or just something to get the body respected and nourished, right? And get your... Get your brain fed too, right? Like, how are you going to have a good mood if you're not 
getting that energy in the morning? Like, how would I sit here with you right now and have this conversation if I didn't have a nice breakfast this morning, you know? And then eating enough throughout the day, right? So like we talked about earlier with the every two to four hours, like eat four to six times a day. A minimum of four is really crucial. And that will improve your mental and your physical health. Then we're going to focus on adding instead of taking away. So I'm going to add some vegetables. I'm going to add some fruit. I'm going to add some fiber. Maybe you want to add some chocolate or you want to add some dressing for satisfaction. That's all in my guide as well. The next thing is mindfulness to the table, right? The best you can do with the situations around you or the environment around you. Some days will be better than others. Most people don't take enough time to eat. I think like the average person probably eats in like six to nine minutes. But you can look at the clock and try to, for a little bit longer. Like maybe you start with one extra minute or two extra minutes. There's nothing rigid, but just try to really be enjoying that food, you know. And, and, and then do you suggest like looking around, checking in, maybe, you know, putting your fork down? I mean, if yeah. you're by yourself, I mean, obviously there's other people you can have conversation. Yeah. I mean, definitely putting the phones away, turning the TV off because that becomes really mindless. And I think. When our brain is focused on TV or the phone or social media or wherever that we miss all mm-hmm. of the hunger cues that our body is sending to us. And then we go and we're 40 minutes later, we're like, oh, I don't feel very good. It's true. Yeah. I mean, also, like sometimes you like don't even know that you've eaten. You're like, wait, I just ate like a yeah, movie popcorn. It's dark yeah. in there and they give you those big ass <laughs> popcorns for a reason. Yeah. But you have no idea that you ate the whole thing of popcorn because you're just like watching the movie and eating popcorn. You're like, oh my God, where did it go? I feel terrible. Yeah. I mean, it's all yeah. designed to get you to eat more of those concession mm. snacks. Yeah. But once you understand some of the basic principles of intuitive eating and the hunger fullness, you really, I mean, listen, you can still get full, really full and really uncomfortable from time to time, but you really do on a consistent basis tune in more to your body and you're like, oh, I feel satisfied and full. I'm good. I can have more tomorrow or the next day or the next week. You know, it's coming from that place. And the last thing that I wanted to say was that. I want people to think about what foods make them feel their best. Like what makes you feel in a good mood? What makes you feel satisfied and makes you feel like just really good? I mean, there's certain foods that might not feel good like when you eat them and that's different for every person. Yeah. Like checking in, I think is important after you eat something. You know, it's like, okay, maybe I go for this green smoothie because that's what I've been told that I should do. But how do I feel after? Do I feel satiated? Do I feel energized? Do I feel weighed down? Do I feel like I'm missing something? Or am Mm -hmm. I still hungry because I'm not really going for something that I really wanted and I'm putting something in its place? And just taking an inventory. Again, that mindfulness piece is really just about building awareness. And then once you have the awareness, you can start to make really actionable choices or present choices of what you want to continue doing. I'm like, okay, I know I don't feel great after eating peanut M&M's, but on occasion, I'm going to still eat the peanut M&M's because they're good and mm-hmm. they're available. And they and, and they're, they bring me joy and they're delicious and they're sweet and they're crunchy. Yeah. I mean, thinking about all those things, you know, instead of thinking about the label or thinking it's bad, it's just food and it gives us energy. It's carbs, you know, so... And yeah, also, what did Jack say? You can't have her line is like you can't have carbs in a hot girl summer. Yeah, like, I love that. Actually, the self care would be making sure you. I mean, it's in my guide, but making sure that you do eat enough carbs throughout your day and not being restrictive with that because 
that's your body's main source of energy and you are not going to feel good and you're going to have a lot of side effects when you don't eat enough and actually poor digestion. I mean, there's some women that have really bad GI issues and then I work with them and they realize that they were not eating enough and they were restrictive and they weren't having enough variety and that was the cause of a lot of their stomach issues. Oh, wow. Not everyone. I am, yeah. you know, that people have true GI issues with eating well, but no, there's some, and also headaches. Like I've worked with women that had headaches a lot and then their headaches are gone because they're giving the body what it needs. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. is this beautiful machine and it's the only one we got. Right? It's not just a suggestive tool that we can mm-hmm. kind of use it as a jumping off point to turn into something else. I love, you know, I wanted to do a whole episode on the BBL of like using you know, our body is just this kind of like paper doll template and we're just going to do whatever we want. Mm -hmm. And really (laughs) the reality is like, I'd love to, you said earlier, 70% of what our body shape style, everything has Mm -hmm. to do with our genetics is completely Mm -hmm. outside of your control. I mean, really only 30% is what you can control. You can build Mm -hmm. strength, you can, you know, flexibility, you know, all of those things, but that, you know, the majority of what your body ultimately wants to be at, where your comfortable weight that your body likes to function for everything to be working like a well-oiled machine may or may not be what you quote unquote want it to be. And then you start to evaluate that and saying, okay, what in me, for me, it was my relationship with my father. He was very restrictive. You know, he was a heavy kid and then got teased a lot and lost a lot of weight. Uh, That got imparted onto our family. And I had a brother and sister who were heavy and I was thin. So that was thin is good, you know, overweight is bad and had Mm -hmm. to rewire all of that and still do. Like it Mm -hmm. is a process. Oh, yeah. I mean, and so giving yourself some grace, right? Even if you're starting today, if starting to look at your relationship with food or looking at your negative self-talk in regards to what you put in your body, you're starting today, right? Yeah, little little baby steps. Absolutely. People try to do this like all or nothing approach. Like it's not about the all or nothing approach. It's about the colorful approach. Well, and that's for me as someone who had eating disorders, it was like, well, you know, one misstep was like, well, the day's ruined, you know, kind of thing. And it was like baby in the bathwater and it was binging and it was those kind mm-hmm. of things. Instead of looking at, you know, every moment, every breath mm-hmm. as an opportunity to learn, to observe, to mm-hmm. witness, to mm-hmm. make choice. It doesn't have to be all for nothing, right? We live in that very black and white mm-hmm. and like living in the gray, giving yourself some grace. Yep. Yep. Lauren, where do you have this incredible guide that listeners can get? I want to put the links in the show notes. Yeah. So I can email anybody that wants it, but I'll link it to my Instagram. I'll put it up there actually. So everyone can find it and just download it. Yeah. Awesome. What's your Instagram? It's don't diet dietitian. I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing all this incredible insight. If you love this episode, subscribe, share it with your friends. I will put all the links in the show notes. Lauren, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. 